People do not think much about what is normal. They assume it exists in some sense, but the varieties of human behavior are so great that to try and define normalcy is a waste of time. But then we come face to face with something so sick and abhorrent that we know this has gone beyond what is normal. That we can identify abnormal when we see it suggests there is also a way to define what is normal, even given its wide range of variation. But there is a problem with establishing a line of division when what we are working with seems to consist of a continuum of variations. That being said, there has to be something wrong with our logic. If abnormal behavior is just a variation of normal behavior the difference is subjective. This failure to define normal behavior has left us looking perplexed at videos of assaults and what used to be considered abnormal behavior. More and more of what used to be considered abhorrent if not psychotic, has now become accepted. Only a few extreme cases of truly abhorrent behavior is reacted to with the revulsion that used to be expressed by the breaking of social norms. But should normality be so broadly defined? The liberal view of normalcy has left the door open to deviancy. Most normal persons prefer a narrower view of normalcy than what liberals advocate. Conservatives do not think for example, mass murderers are sane or logical and they are decidedly not moral. But if we cannot draw a hard line between right and wrong, how can we tell when a behavior is wrong? As what is acceptable expands, the range of things that are repugnant, shrinks. What was unthinkable a few decades ago has become, if not the norm, certainly not the outlier behavior it was. The question has always been where to draw the line between good and evil. When the line is abstract and subjective, it becomes difficult if not impossible to define or defend. People ask whether gender-defining clothes are appropriate. Given the wide variety of styles and options available now and throughout time why divide clothes into two groups appropriate to two sexes? Ought men and women dress according to their sex? Is anything more subjective than fashion? This same kind of thinking is evident regarding the claim that God is not constrained by logic and exists outside of logic. That does not make God illogical. Illogical is defined by logic and would not exist were it not for logic. Fashion is subjective as regards gender because our sense of what is normal is subjective. That is the point. Pointing to the lack of norms proves they do not exist to those who deny them. This is the problem with relativistic culture. If everything is relative, then definitions become meaningless. Cultural relativism means that there is no culture. Civilization itself is called into question once we accept there are no norms. For the left, social norms do not have legitimacy. The only norms the left understand are defined by the law. Laws differ from nation to nation, but laws define the norms we live by. No one claims traffic laws are normative, in an objective sense, but they are the rules subjects live by. It used to be said nations existed because of a thing called the social contract. Suffering under a state of nature, men came together and agreed to live under a set of social norms. I agree not to kill and eat you, if you agree not to kill and eat me. Man formed a social contract so we could live in groups, in contrast to living a life that was solitary, brutish and short. As interesting as the story is, it only drives home the subjectivity of our norms. Science cannot study what is subjective. But social norms are subjective preferences, taught to us by our parents, and to them by their parents. Yet, at some time in the past these norms must have solutions to real problems. Had they been subjective they would not have persisted. 
it does seem that many consider how deeply embedded our norms are embedded or the original source of them, when we decide to jettison them. Politeness is not a norm that exists because they make us feel good. There are logical reasons for social norms. They are logical even if society is more focused on emotional impacts than intellectual ones. Social norms exist because what is normal is logical and moral and tied up with what is true. But as modern man has lost touch with morality and truth, social norms seem ancient and irrelevant. What is normal is what can be validated, for the simple reason that what is true and moral can be verified. Social norms are not just random habits with no logical reason for existing. What is normal is what has a foundation in what is true. A norm that is not morally justified would not have become a norm in the first place. Even if the justification for it has been long forgotten. Modern peoples talk about saving the planet and lowering our carbon footprint without accepting that the first step on this journey is to establish norms consistent with our objective. Moral populations have low levels of subjectivity. Logical populations are not governed by emotional intelligence. The minimal necessary requirement of a logical organization is to be accountable for the costs it creates. An organization is moral by the degree of objectivity it manifests. If a process is viable, it produces more value than it consumes. A social norm ought to produce pathways that reduce social costs. Think of a community as an organism or spiritual creation. Its foraging activity cannot consume more calories than its actions produce, otherwise it enters a deficit, the outcome of which is death. A priorics is the study of organizational viability and of social norms and social practices that lead to greater vitality. A priorics looks at communities to discover abnormalities and non-viable components that wastes resources. A priorics mission is to make our communities more viable by verifying their operations in terms of sustainability. Apriorix is a system analyzer or program that measures organizational viability in terms of its conversion ratio or consumption of resources as a percentage of expenditures. We live in a simple system composed of natural resources, human resources, and capital. This creates benefits or goods normally referred to as consumer goods. The efficiency of the system or its viability quotient is a measure of how much labor needs to go into a unit of capital. This will vary by the proportion of capital that is consumer goods and how much is technical or what might be called commercial resources. If we were to distill the process down to a variance in one factor, that factor would be faith. If there is no faith people are solitary and produce what they need on an individual basis. As faith increases families can be formed, then extended families and eventually tribes. This is familial faith or trust in one's blood relatives. This trust was expanded by developing the concept of totems and relationships based on totem kinships. Over time through various mean city-states then nations were developed. But trust did not necessarily deepen and the faith was more due to the power of the regulatory state to enforce laws common to all than a belief one's neighbor could be trusted. Faith permits us to specialize and specialization permits the development of civilization. The loss of faith is not something to take lightly nor contribute to without accepting there are repercussions, and these can be serious. If we were truly one people and of one faith there would be no need for the state or its regulatory environment. Imagine living as a family lives, with the work of each person adding to the wealth of the family and the wealth of the family a benefit to all. There is a logic to faith because there is a benefit to it that does not exist with fear and mistrust. 
the more we see others as a source of risk the higher our costs rise. There is a real benefit in faith if it is properly given. But until we stop thinking fear is natural and unavoidable we will keep sacrificing faith to embrace an every stronger and more invasive state.